Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if you are visiting or haven't been here for a couple of weeks, you may not know that we have begun our fall sermon series, and we are continuing on the series entitled God's Way. And the first week we talked about Jesus, in fact, saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and how sometimes we want to go our own way, and God calls us back to his way, and that Jesus is the way. But when you're trying to find a way, when you're seeking a way, you need directions. And so last week we talked about finding directions or getting directions when we're seeking a way. And when we're seeking directions, and in particular God's way, one of the first aspects of walking the walk or being a disciple of Christ we think about are the two great commandments, the the first and great commandment, and the second commandment, which is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbors yourself, which is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about love. See, but part of the problem is, when you hear the word love today, so many thoughts probably run through your mind. I mean, my guess is, the first thought that you think about when you hear the word love is probably someone in your life that is significant to you. Possibly a spouse, your husband, your wife. Possibly a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Possibly a very close friend. Or maybe a child or children or maybe a parent. But usually when we think about love, it's a relationship. But in a different context, you might think about something else. Like, for example, if you were sitting somewhere in your home that you just love, that you're comfortable with, and you might look around and say, I love my home. Or you're driving in your car. Say, I love my car. Or maybe you're sitting with your pet and, you know, snuggling with your pet, and you say, I love my pet. In fact, some of you, I love my pet more than my spouse. (laughs) You love a restaurant. You love a movie. I mean, you know, there's so many things we love. In fact, someone gave me a plaque one time that I have in my office. It says, God so loved the world, he gave us golf. (laughs) Now, see, you probably thought, because I said in my office, God so loved the world, That he gave his only son, didn't you? But see, the reality is, there's so many aspects and different avenues and ways and places and things in life that we love. And we think about love. And God created so many of those things. You know, when God created the world... 
If you look at the unfolding of creation, every day of creation, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. So God created the world and the animals and the plants and the planets, and so much of it is good. We're meant to enjoy God's creation. Then he gets to human beings, and it's very good. But who or what, what are we meant to love the most? God himself. See, the problem is, is when we get it out of whack, when we get our priorities confused, is when we get into trouble. When we begin to make creation or aspects of our lives or people in our lives, the center of our lives is when we begin to go sideways and our priorities get confused and we become idolatrous, which is what happened to Adam and Eve. They wanted to say how it was. And what's sad about it is, when they walked with God in the garden before that, everything was perfect. Everything was not only good, it was very good, it was excellent. Because they had love in order. Everything was wonderful. Now in English, we only have one word for love. And it's the word love. But in the Greek, and in the Hebrew, there's multiple words for love. The Hebrew in the Old Testament, and then the Greek in the New Testament that takes the word from Hebrew and then the Greek that uses four words to explain what love looks like. And many of you are familiar with those words. But for those of you that aren't, the first word that's used for love in Greek is eros. Eros, which is physical love or worldly love or carnal love or love that seeks personal pleasure which God created. It's not bad in and of itself if it's in its proper place and proper order. And then there's philia, brotherly love, brotherly affection, caring for friends, which is also good. Storge, which is nurturing love, the love of a mother, the love of a nurse, the love of a caring parent, or when you're caring for a declining parent. It's a nurturing love, a caring love, a compassionate love. But the word for love that we have because of Jesus Christ is agape, sacrificial love. And so we have these four words that are oftentimes lost on us. And in fact, in our culture... There's such confusion about the word love. Because of the way that it's used in television and movies and song. Because it's romanticized and it's sexualized. For example, when you say that you're going to love someone for tonight, I don't think they fully grasp what love is. If you know what I mean.
It lacks commitment. It's really more about eros, which totally misunderstands God's kind of love and God's kind of priorities in love. See, when you read the scriptures and you begin to understand that God's kind of love is an unfolding kind of love that begins with Him, that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that's, that's meant to set the stage and the standard and to fill us so that then we're able to love our neighbors ourselves. And our priorities unfold and we begin to understand how life is to be ordered. And it's when Adam and Eve at first confused it that chaos broke out, that sin broke into the world. You know the word cosmos that we oftentimes use as creation? actually means order. That when God created everything that is, the word cosmos, it's orderly. That when, when we step outside of God's intended creation, the way that God intended for us to love and to live, that chaos ensues. And so let's talk about what it means to follow God's way. To walk as a Christian. To live life as Christ lived with His kind of love. And I want to start off with a scripture that we don't have before us. And use that as a foundation and then move into the scriptures that we do have before us. The first kind of love that I want to talk about is serving. That God's kind of love is a love of service. And I think about when Jesus in the upper room washed the apostles' feet. That he was willing to give of himself even in the context that he was about to die. And the reason is, is because of how Jesus lived his life. It was a life of worship. If you really understand the word worship, you know, what we think of when we think of worship is what you're doing, what we're doing right now. If you're not nodding off, what you're doing right now is you're in worship. Worship, the word worship actually comes from worship. What you're saying is God is of worth to me. God is of value to me. But see, worship isn't just something we're meant to do on Sundays corporately, to gather together, to support and encourage one another. That because we gather together, something happens here, that the Holy Spirit joins us where two or three are gathered in His name, there am I in the midst of them, and lifts us up to the presence of the Lord. If you really understand what corporate worship is all about. But that we are meant to daily worship Him. That every day we get a sense of His worth and His presence. And you know, I hear people say, well, I just don't have time to spend every day with the Lord in reading His Word and in prayer. What you're saying in translation is, He's not worth it. Worship is saying you're worth it. 
It's an investment of my time and it's an investment of myself. I serve that which I invest time in. And you come to worship to be filled, whether it be individually and personally or whether you come on Sunday. It's not something that is a challenge. It's something to be filled. It's a privilege. It's a gift. It's how you're equipped. It's how you're able to love because you worship. If you really understand what worship is about, Jesus' life was a life of worship. That every day, if you read the Scriptures, Mark 1, he got up and he spent time with the Lord early. The special times he set apart to be with his Father, to be filled. That he was in total submission and obedience to to his Father. Everything he did was to glorify the Father. And out of that came his strength to preach and to teach and to bring healing and to serve people around him. His life was a life of service because he was filled. If you really understand what daily worship and weekly worship was about, it's about being filled. It's not about, oh my gosh, I guess i got to spend time with God. You really miss it. If that's what you think. Because we need to be filled constantly with His Holy Spirit so we can serve. And that's why Jesus lived a simple life. Because He didn't need to surround Himself with things to take care of Himself. Because he was more interested in serving the Father and serving other people. He lived a simple life. A life of constant giving. A life of constant service. He was more interested in serving than he was gathering for himself and accumulating. Did he need quiet? Absolutely. Did he need rest? Absolutely. So that he could be filled. He needed to gather with other people. So that he could pray. So that he could sing. We're told that he went to the temple. We're told that he went to the synagogue. He needed corporate worship and he needed individual worship. So do we. So that we can be filled. This is not part of your burden to carry. Don't see worship as that. You misunderstand. This is part of your gift and privilege to be filled and equipped so that you can serve. That's what worship is. So that we can serve. Because that's part of what love is about. If Jesus did not live a life of worship. He would not live a life of service. You know what most of us do with a lot of our lives? We live a life of what I call a life of almost. I don't know how many of you have seen this commercial. 
that people live a life of almost. They have great intentions, but they don't always do what they want to do. I intended to do this. I intended to help somebody. I intended to give my time. I intend. We have such good intentions. We have the mind to do the right thing. I'm so blessed that Jesus didn't just almost go to the cross. That Jesus, because he lived a life of worship, of total obedience to his Father, of total love and commitment and service to us, that he went to the cross for our sake. Secondly, that Jesus lived a life of sacrifice. That's why he went to the cross. That this kind of love, this agape love, is about sacrifice. And we get a sense of that from the very beginning of his ministry. When Jesus is baptized, John the Baptist, right at the beginning, says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right at the very beginning in John chapter 1. The Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, who was sacrificed for us. That Jesus lived a life of sacrifice. Sacrifice with a purpose. To save us from our sin. The same life that we are meant to live. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. Which is your spiritual worship. That we too, following in his footsteps, are meant to live this life of sacrifice. If you look at the kind of love that is described in 1 Corinthians 13. That is a love of sacrifice. If you really understand it, love is patient. Who likes to be patient? You know what the word really is? The word patient really is if you break it down, if you look at the word in its background, long-suffering. In other words, you're going to suffer a long time. That's what patience is. Who likes that? If you read further down the list, love does not insist on its own way. Really? I love to insist on my own way. I'm always right. Isn't that what we all think? You laugh. You groan. But that's what we all think. You wouldn't say it if you didn't think you were right. I'm just willing to say it. See, love, if you really understand it, is sacrificial. And that's why love is forgiving. We, of all the people in the world, ought to be the most forgiving people because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Why is it the church community is so often punitive? We ought to be the most forgiving people because of what Christ did for us on the cross.
We ought to be the most giving people. Because that's what sacrifice is about. I am so thankful for those in this church who give. Who give of their time sacrificially. Who give of their resources. I mean, what we're about to do today in dedicating our preschool is because people have sacrificed. People have sacrificed their resources. People have sacrificed their time. People that you don't know about. Because they don't wave a flag. See, the Christian life is about sacrifice. That's what Jesus modeled. That's why we have this new word called agape love. And that's the kind of love described in 1 Corinthians 13. You know, we read this gospel reading. And many of you may not be familiar with the interaction between Peter and Jesus in this gospel reading. I have my Greek New Testament here. I'm not going to read the passage to you in Greek. But I want to point something out to you from the Greek New Testament about the gospel reading. And it comes from what I said in my introduction. When Jesus says, Peter, do you love me the first time? He says, Peter, do you agape me? Peter's response is, Lord, I philia you. In other words, Peter, do you self-sacrificially love me? And Peter's response is, I love you like a brother. Jesus says a second time, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter's response is, Jesus, I philia you. The third time, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you Philia me. Interesting. And then it says Peter was hurt that he asked him a third time. I think he was hurt for two reasons. That he asked him a third time, but also that he changed the word. He changed the word from self-sacrificial love to what Peter was willing to give him at the time, which is brotherly love. Jesus kept asking him, are you willing to sacrifice and give your love in such a way to lay down your life for me? And Peter's response was, I love you like a brother. You're my buddy. And Jesus finally said, I'll take it for now. But there's going to come a time later when you will lay down your life for me. 
that's what he says. There's going to come a time when you're finally going to understand. And that's when your love becomes selfless. When you're willing to think of God first and you love Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you love your neighbor as yourself. And you're third. That Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 that you count others better than yourself which is so hard for us to do as a lead into the passage that says have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be had in other words he said I'm not going to be like Adam and Eve who wanted to be the God of their life. I'm going to give that up. I'm going to lay down my life so that others might know salvation and eternal life. I'm going to give that up. Selfless love. So hard for us. Not natural but full of grace. That's what Jesus modeled in this self-sacrificial love. Not insisting on his own way. Not seeking to please himself. Seeking to please his Father and love and serve us. You know, if we really took the first and great commandment seriously, if we really did, how we would change. How our church would change. And how it would change everything about our life and how we live and how we would have an impact on those around us if we really took the first and great commandment seriously. Because the second commandment would almost be a no-brainer at that point. Instead of being apathetic, Instead of being hateful, instead of being unforgiving, and so often we start off so well. Think about it. If you've ever made a commitment in your in your life to Jesus Christ, said yes, Lord, I want you to be my Savior and Lord. Oftentimes you start off so well, but then sometimes you just start to drift a little bit. Do you ever notice that? We do that in so many ways in our lives, so many areas of our, our lives. You know, when you, if you've gotten married, when you come to the altar and you get married, you are so in love, right? You didn't do it because you didn't love the person. You are so in love. You got stars in your eyes. They're beautiful. You're semi-handsome. And it's like, eh, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, eh, and it's okay, maybe. Right? When your children are young, and they're babies, and they're cute, and they're beautiful, and everything's wonderful, and then they become 
teenagers that drive and wreck the car and drink too much. What happened? Right? We start off so well. That's why we need to worship. To be filled constantly. That's why we need to love Him first. Because if we try to love in and of ourselves, our own self-will, our own ability, will fail. We're weak. And our world is so filled with apathy and hate right now, it boggles the mind. Do you think this country's getting better? You know what's interesting? Is the more our country becomes agnostic and atheistic, the more it becomes anti-Christian, look what's going on. Look what happened this week. The number of shootings. It's not getting less. It's not getting less. One of the questions that I've asked myself over the past few months, watching all that's transpired, I wonder how I would be. I don't know if you've asked yourself that. If you were in a theater, if you were in a nightclub, if you were in a mall, would I be one of those teachers who would lay my body across the door and protect the children? Would I be one of those who would shield someone in a mall? Or in a theater? I wonder how I would be. I'd like to think of myself as someone like that. But I wonder how I would be. I don't know if you've asked yourself that question. Because that's self-sacrificial love. I think there's another reason why I've asked myself that question. This summer, when I was on vacation, I watched a rerun of Air Force One. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie with Harrison Ford, Air Force One. You know, Harrison Ford, you know, you've watched him over the years. He was in Star Wars and he was this young guy and then you watch him in, you know, some of these movies. He's aging. I think that means I am too. He's aging. But anyway, I watched him in Air Force One. Do you realize how many people in Air Force One died for him? I mean, we're not talking one. We're talking several people who died for him, took a bullet for him. And I wonder if I could do something like that. And then I thought about something further. I wonder how I would feel if someone did that for me. And the reality is, someone did. And his name is Jesus Christ. He died on a cross in your place 
for your sin so that you can know salvation and eternal life. He died on a cross so you could understand the depth of God's love for you. He died on a cross so you would have the privilege of worship and understanding agape love. And he calls us to this kind of love. To himself. To each other. Let's pray. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. For me and for you. He wants us to know that love. He wants us to live that love. And he wants us to reach out to others with that love. There's a prayer on page 101 in the Book of Common Prayer. I'm going to close with this prayer that reminds us of Christ's love. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. And I pray, Lord, right now, if there's anyone here that's never done so, they would come within that reach. So clothe us in your spirit that we reaching forth our hands in love may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen.